Happy Friday, everyone. You already know, every Friday is strange lunchtime. You know, we're in the teens of these podcasts. I'm somewhere along the lines of like 15, 16 or whatever. Uh, yeah, it's been a very eventful week, very internal. Um, a lot of cool things have happened. A lot of cool things are happening. You know, um, I spent it really inspired this week. Uh, one of the things that inspired me the most is when I jumped on it and I purchased Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life on audiobook. I got so much value out of it. I'm almost done. I almost finished it within the week because I listened to podcasts at two times the speed. So a 30 minute podcast or audiobook can become a 15 minute one, a two hour podcast. You can listen to information for one hour and just kind of like take notes of parts, you know, cause whenever we're reading or we're listening for stuff, we're listening for the gold nugget. You know, a lot of the times people are, you know, enjoying the flow of conversation and that's cool. You know, the, the flow of conversation and how we build up and create our language and personalize it is cool and everything. But, you know, sometimes we want to get straight to the nitty gritty. So what we do, what is really cool to do is to double the speed of the podcast or audiobook you're listening to. It turns an hour to half an hour, you know. I, I drive a lot, so it gives me a lot of time to listen. You know, I don't... I don't I don't waste any time. So that's kind of my superpower. And, you know, I, I look at my life in that way. Like, okay, this is my superpower. I drive for Uber. Um, I have the, the superpower of not knowing that there is kind of like, do I have any security in what I'm doing? Not really. Um, so I have to build it. And allowing myself to use technology. Like, okay, like we're going to do a podcast. That's a superpower. Now I have a platform to put my ideas out, create media that goes around what I'm thinking, you know? If you think about how media works, they've created the landscape for them to reap benefits. And who I say them is like, just not me. I don't really know. I'm not trying to section this off and give a perspective to anybody, but the media landscape is kind of like a farm. We're on a farm. We're on, we're on a factory farm for attention, for consumer dollars. We're on a farm. We are on a plantation. Because, <laughs> like, that's how life is, you know? And I'm sure that the human race is probably on a plantation for a higher alien being. I mean, I'm not sure of that, but I've heard that concept, you know? Because it's, that, that's what it seems to kind of be like. A more intelligent being creates a farm. Then we have the factory farm animals. Like, who's to say that we're not a farm on a farm? <laughs> this is so crazy. I don't know how I got here. Who's to say that we're not on a farm with uh, beings that, that feed on energy? I'm just throwing it out there. This is just like a theory that I've heard before and I've thought of before. <laughs> It's like, oh, they're, they're here just to taste our emotions and our stories. And, you know, we're just, it's kind of like what South Park did. With South Park, there's this episode where Earth is actually a reality TV show for aliens. But anyway, 
what? That got strange really fast. Like I don't like I have I have look I have a thing to talk about on this podcast. I have it right in front of me, and then here I go off the freaking rails. So, <laughs> but my point is is that with something like Strange Lunch, um, and this is why I'm always encouraging people start your podcast, make your music, start relating with one another with your own creations because we're living in a world now that we choose we can pick and choose what we want to tune into and if we start encouraging each other to produce and trade locally we're going to be able to create new communities around shared values online you know um within niche markets and things like that you know like while while you're driving in your passion people and people come together and we start creating these little tiny like you know like oh we're star wars fans over here for example you know and then, then the whole economy blooms within the star like everybody comes together um through star wars you know and right now we are the media landscape um as you can see mainstream media is just clawing for its attention back you know they have to const they <sighs> the mainstream media has to constantly hit us in our um i forgot the word it's a word it has something to do with the nervous system and it has um basically our basic drives Damn, I forgot it. I, I I posted it. If if you want to know what I'm talking about, it's on my Instagram. It's a it's the word that I most recently posted. It's about the nervous system and how people are constantly trying to hack this particular sympathetic sympathetic parasympathetic. Um, yeah, so there's a part of our nervous system that is responsible for our base drives of fear, sexual desire, um, and, a, and a whole lot of that. So the media is trying to tap into that part of human nature, and it's constantly throwing us down into our lower nature, constantly fixated on violence and sex and keeping us at a basic in our basic cognitive feelings, you know, and it, and it, and it affects some of us more than other others, you know, some of us are no longer susceptible. Like being woke is kind of just waking up to the fact that, Oh, that stuff is fleeting. Oh, that stuff is so average. And it just, it doesn't progress beyond this note. I mean, it can, but it can only do it when you move past it a little, you know, like I read this book on pleasure and that book on pleasure evolved the way I thought about sex in general. Like if if sex is no longer the goal and the goal is pleasure, now this abstract idea of pleasure can now be enjoyed in a good event, some food, a nice conversation, the clothes you wear, you know, pleasure, or even spicy food, like pleasure is pain. Um, and once you start to, and that's elevating it from just sex, 
when you fixate on sex, what you're looking for in sex is pleasure, right? So if that's what you're looking for really in sex, you elevate yourself. And now I'm here to have a good time, <laughs> like, like just whatever the good time is. And, you know, it doesn't have to turn into that. It could turn into pop, a, a myriad, a myriad, M-Y, a, a, lar a large variety of possibilities when you elevate from sex to pleasure um and that's what i experienced once i started thinking about it that way where it's like sex obsessed then i became pleasure curious like let me look for pleasure let me go find experiences that i will enjoy and think of it as a different thing you know and you practice it not just when you're naked you practice it with every move you make, everything you do, you know, grooming, like the way you dress, the way you decorate your room, the way you give a gift, you know, like you start to mess around with that kind of stuff. Even the way that you cause funny pain. Like when I say funny pain, it's like, have you ever been in a conversation that people are saying mean things but with tongue in cheek and then it's like oh like it's funny it's like oh like that was a little rude but it was kind of funny because it was acceptable and people laugh instead of I'm um, hurt so it's like you know banter so yes I encourage people all my people to begin to cultivate your media landscape this is a world where we now control that which we see and we bring to each other, you know? I have so many great opportunities to interact with people that I love that I would have never, like, like because I have a container, such as my podcast, where, like, I can interview, have a co-creator um, co every once in a while, this allows for a higher form of interaction. You know, it gives, it drives some purpose in my community. And people can t get to now know of each other through what I do. So I think it's a beautiful thing. You don't have to do what I do, but I would say do not underestimate that which you are passionate about, that which you love. Which brings me to the topic of this podcast. Cognitive surplus cognitive surplus one second the concept comes from the book by clay share sharky cognitive surplus right here um i took the cover off a long time ago and um yeah so i can't show you exactly what it looks like but it's called cognitive cognitive surplus Cognitive means of the mind, kind of, you know. Surplus means extra. It's kind of like an economic term and a psychological term at the same time. Cognitive psychology, economic surplus. Put it together, cognitive surplus. So what does it mean? It means that we got a lot of free times on our hands. We have a lot of free time on our hands. Uh... And how did this free time come about? You know, the book tells a very interesting story, you know, and, and, and it, I like it for its perspective. I was reading what critics had to say about the book, 
um, the critics say that it's a good book. It has it's, it's it wraps its head around the good part of cognitive surplus, where it's like these are the productive things and awesome things that people can do with their cognitive surplus. And I guess the critics, what they really wanted was like that removed. And this this is really important because it's like people want you to remove a little bit of your sauce, like and just be unbiased when you're reporting certain things but i would say like look what the media does it reports on negative things because negative things put money in your pocket quicker because it gets people to be impulsive you know impulsive it captivates attention so anything to me that is trying to capture me via my sexuality or capture me via my drive for violence um or like emotional things I already automatically see you as enemy and distrust you because it's like, okay, wait a second. No, like, like you are, you're hacking me a little bit. And I can, you know, like these things still come into play in life. But I know that when it comes to the marketplace, when you're trying to strike me in those ways, I'm, I'm not turned on to that anymore. You know, I seek peace. I seek understanding. I seek space and so oh, we can still do this stuff, but only after I create the room for me to maneuver in it and, the, and and it doesn't amplify on me, you know? So that's why I jumped into yoga and I talk about it all the time. It's very, it's like a very key, important part of what I'm up to. So cognitive surplus. Um, the moment in time this book starts with is with the industrial age and in the industrial age it started to when we started creating industry and factories we started to bring people from agricultural cultures agricultural societies into the cities and if you can imagine what those cities look like in the beginning it was just empty space. Nobody knew what to fill it up with. So it was just the factory and the homes, right? And they had, so they're talking about, I believe the UK, the United Kingdom, uh, London. And it starts with gin, the gin craze of the seven, of like 1720, the early 700s. The gin craze where people were drinking so much gin like they were getting wet with gin they were just soaked in gin if you was to take a human and put them in a giant human-sized mason jar fill it up with gin and blackberries and ferment a human being inside of it that would be the gin craze of the 1700s they were drinking an exorbitant amount of gin they were soaked in it so he uses that as the jumping point of this book and the reason why is because he's going to explain what it what it is you know the government decided to ban gin at the time and it just created like an underworld as, as per usual you know and this was before they were even bars um his explanation for the gin craze is not the gin's fault. The gin was actually the remedy for the bigger thing that was happening, which was you took people from an agricultural society with family ties and 
and norms and ways of being and ways of interacting with one another and put them in a city context, which at the time, no such thing has ever existed before. When you put people in the city like that and you remove them from there, now that we live in the cities, we filled it up with things like coffee shops, bookstores, clothing, fashion, you know, everything that we've created inside of the city to occupy what we have created from industrialization and from these new types of work, which is more free time than we know what to do with it. And then we created a whole culture around it. And this is why this um, story is so important and to be at least being told from the perspective that he has, because I think that it's a really good perspective, um, very useful. And I'll start to explain this a, a little later. So gin was a solution for the free time and the anxiety people felt from essentially walking away from their way of life. If you can imagine generations and generations of people who have been able to, who have interacted with each other in familial communal ways for centuries, like, oh, I'm used to going over here and taking my time. Like, even the way that you interact with time, I have another book called um, The Dance of Life. It's about time. time. The way we use our time is a very cultural thing, and tradition kind of, like, dictates a lot of that. So can you imagine? It's almost like being shot into space. You don't need to be shot into space for things to happen this way. So, like... They go into to the city, basically getting shot into space, and their cultural norms start to disintegrate. And now they're left with nothing but an empty canvas and a whole lot of anxiety because it's a lot of energy. And like our reward system, you know, we have a reward system based on how we interact with one another. All of that being changed and shift around, living in these tenement houses and dirty environments with very little to do. They didn't have a fashion industry. They didn't have the bars. They didn't have the libraries. They didn't have all these other things. We had empty space, you know, and then soon enough, and coffee shops. Um, let me see if I could just quickly flip to that part where they talk about the coffee shops, because I think that that's really important. I think it's that little sentence is there to inspire the fact that we create where there is empty space and finding that empty space helps us uh, create. You need a canvas, right? Let's see. The social climate of But yeah, so I cannot find it. I would say so the gin craze was a coping mechanism. It was a coping mechanism for that great change. Then things started to evolve. We created uh, um, different ways of occupying our time. And then another revolution came post like war world war where the television was invented and that was the new gin um that's the new because like we started to again with all this work and we with wealth and prosperity there's more people that have nothing to do and less to do in, with their lives to fill up the empty space 
because remember we don't even need to like hunt for our food anymore it's pretty simple to get i mean you know the way we exchange nowadays then he talks about how television became our our next gen craze so the minute that television came about we started to become really good consumers because television made us consumers if you think about how television works you sit down at a, at a chair and you fill your eyes and your ears with stimulus and you just stay there for hours you know and they've mastered the they we have masters of entertainment in terms of hitting those those drives and storylines and then selling you things. So that was a very big consumerist uh, revolution. Not revolution, but change in life. So we went from gin because we needed to like soften that anxiety. And then now we still have that anxiety and we still have the question and the problem of cognitive surplus too much. Basically, I like to boil it down to too much time on our hands, but cognitive surplus really does say what it is. It says that it's a we have an economic surplus like of our personal economy of attention and time to do and think you know we actually have more than people have ever had in their lives now with us moving away from the TV era, which is something I love to talk about. I love talking about how television was such a big thing. And now we're moving away from that. We have the smartphones. And exactly what I'm doing right now with my podcast is a use of my cognitive surplus. Um, and that's why I encourage everybody to start participating. Because we're moving away from the consumerist aspect of it and we can actually start producing our own content and this is where the empty space is and i'm only speaking to the people hip enough to listen to my podcast you know i'm only here speaking to the people who are on the cutting edge because i am framing this on the cutting edge i'm trying to tell you what where we are right now you know like we've moved past this there's so many other people doing this but I, mine my podcast right now has a lot of uh, talk of self-awareness. So uh, the final thing on cognitive surplus that I would like to share, because I don't like making these podcasts too long, uh, are our ultimate goals and drives in our interactions with the internet right now. So... Later on in the book, he starts to talk about people have two things that they're trying to do on the internet. This is his uh, hypothesis or the theory he's push he's putting forward. We have two types of um, goals, personal and social. The personal goals online, because we create amateur content and a lot of other things like that, and we entertain one another with it, is we want to increase in competence, basically get better at what we're doing and create autonomy so our ability not only to be get better at what we're doing but ultimately to create that which we want to see in the world right um so that's those are our personal goals interacting with the internet our social goals is we want membership of a group who share values and beliefs the same values and belief as us that's part i would also say it'd be also great if you are the type of person that can 
interact with other people. And I'm going to explain why, like people who don't share your values and beliefs. But it's good. It's very important that we go find members of groups who share our values and beliefs because um, that's a good starting point. And then from once you find those members of groups where you share values and beliefs, we want to share things with that group. We want to exchange ideas and and value with one another. So personal increased confidence and autonomy and social goals are membership of a group who share our values and beliefs and sharing things with that group so i think that's a very good thing to like weave together for us to talk about um i also believe that underneath all of that we is that we want meaningful things we want life with meaning and that goes back to the jordan peterson 12 rules for life stuff um Another thing that he creates is um, this kind of like matrix of value. We have personal value, communal value, public value, and civic value. And I think that that in itself is very good to share. Uh, personal value are efforts of a singular agent sharing ideas on a whim, which is me on my podcast chatting. Communal values, sharing a in a small group that serve the group. So after you find your group, you want to share within a small group to serve that group of people. That's communal value. Public value is sharing in order to produce projects that serve people outside of the group. So it's our little in-group learning how to create value to share with other people's in-groups or larger groups. Uh, and then the civic value where groups collaborate on projects that serve to benefit society as a large. So those are like your churches, your unions interacting with government and things of that sort, you know, but like I like public value. So like that's kind of like the spiraling from individual to group to group peer to peer, um, peer to peer uh, um to group, to group, and then ultimately a bunch of groups networking together to influence society. And I want to share this information because that's where I'm trying to live in terms of where this podcast is going, where we all are going. You know, I have a network of yogis, artists, business people that I that I know and I love. And everybody is somewhat a little bit different and everybody has their in-groups. Um, I'm, I'm just a merchant the way that I see myself, like the way that people would go out to the Silk Road and trade some stuff from their culture with some stuff from other people's culture and then take those things that they traded and bring it back to their society and trade it for like a hella giant price. It's kind of like that, what I'm up to, but it's more just like social capital stuff. You know, and I'm just open source. Open source is kind of a coding term and actually it's a it's another term in the book cognitive surplus which the more i talk about it the more i know that i have to definitely read front to back this one this one if you look up a youtube video you could find the author at least speaking about it in his uh his main points but open source creation is where like you basically are making the sauce but you everybody who helps you make the sauce can also learn from making that sauce and it's very important that we behave in this manner for to progress in the internet age. Cause, and that's where you can 
start to get value in your pocket because um, too many of us are afraid to start our projects because we don't like giving things away for free. And, you know, in 12 Rules for Life, the Jordan Peterson book that I've been reading, sharing is important. Like when you give a gift to someone and you share, it's the beginning, the beginnings of trade. Like that first share is like, and yo, we could get into some deeper things, some painful things about this, but um, we're, we're, we're going to move that to the side. Um, when you're sharing with someone, it's the invitation to further trade and to get more complex and valuable trades. And what we do as people is trade our time, our resources, you know, and that's how you get things, you know. And I think that one of the things to be kind of combating, I think one of the revolutionary things to combat is uh, and also fight off because everybody can turn on, turn this on at any moment. But, you know, fight the extractive capitalism, you know, like the constant need to like extract. And that's a whole other thing. I, I, I get really abstract because I know that I have these pieces that while I'm doing these podcasts, I actually have the opportunity to piece together all these different sources of information that I have like loose. So I'm able to start to weave these narratives that then become action plans and expression and creativity and things of value. So that's all for my strange lunch today. I mean, I'm really excited to be seeing, to going to the farms this weekend. Um, I know that I can talk for maybe an hour. I could start giving people hour-long podcasts, but I don't want to do that right now. You know, I only have 30 minutes to say what I think. And, you know, I probably should start practicing making these videos outside of just Friday. Because I'm working with a lot of different concepts and... I know that I'm starting to go really fast. So that sometimes you have to break your own self-imposed limitations. And I'm starting to see that I'm outgrowing these limitations faster than a child through puberty. You dig? <laughs> so um, with all my love, this has been Strange Lunch. I hope you enjoyed this one. Uh, we're constantly evolving. Keep in mind cognitive surplus. You got a lot of time on your hands and don't be afraid. That anxiety is normal. We're living in new terrains. We're constantly in the wild west. You dig it? Can you dig it? Um, make sure that you find something worth increasing your competence in and then earning your autonomy through it. Because as your competence level rises, your ability to choose and control what happens in reality, for example, guitar player, the more competence they have, the more autonomy they have on the guitar, right? Um, make sure that you're finding your tribe, like people of good minds that you would like to interact on subjects that you like interacting with. Um, and hopefully with the, the progression of a better life for all, uh, make sure that you're sharing with those people, constantly bringing the value instead of thinking what value you are taking from it, you know, 
Like, that's how I started. Like, if I was to think about, oh, I'm not giving enough or I'm not getting enough from this Instagram stuff, everything that's evolved on Instagram that I've approached has come from the mindset that I need to give, 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 you know? You need to put out first before you get anything back. Um, and also start thinking of that like spiraling upwards. I think of it as spiraling upwards from being an individual and sh sharing your personal value to communal value, the value that gets created from being in a small community to serve and and better nourish the group that you're a part of than the public value where it's like let's nourish the relationship between groups of people and then the civic value like let's all as a bunch of groups start to benefit the society at large for even the people that are outliers love this has been strange lunch